Please remain standing and pray with me. Almighty God, please come now and quicken and enliven a, a very familiar passage to many of us this morning. Give us fresh ears with which to hear the scriptures taught. Please be with me, the preacher of your word. Grant me confidence and the, the unction of the Holy Spirit to, to stand on the truth of your word, uh, under the authority of your word, to feed your people on your word. And we look to you, Lord God, for you are the source of all that is good that we will receive now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of wanted to applaud after Jane read the Old Testament. I mean, I was right on the verge. Uh, I, I couldn't have done that. Uh, you did extremely well. And in, even if you didn't, we feel like you did. You, if you were just kind of joshing us, we, we didn't catch it. Well done. Well, thanks be God. You know, if you live in the corporate world or if you have interactions with human resource departments, you might have a knee-jerk reaction to hearing uh, three words together, all right? And these are the words. Now, I think last uh, service when I preached this, uh, I said these three words and some people just turned off at that point. I didn't hear anything else I had to say. Stay with me. Hang in there, all right? It's diversity, diversity, equity, and oh my gosh, you are well catechized. Well done. I don't know if I could do that with one of the uh, articles of religion out of the prayer book. I don't know. But in fact, your, your school or your company may actually have a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, and you might be inclined to equate those individuals with the ideological enforcement arm of the 21st century American institution, sort of like the old uh, political commissars of the Red Army. But what you need to know, though, is that these words are, in fact, extremely important, and they are deeply rooted in our biblical understanding of life in Christ. They are not bad words. It's only when we uproot ideas of diversity and equity and inclusion, uproot them from the gospel, and try to secular, uh, secularize them and to extract the God content from them, that they become toxic and authoritarian. It's only when we take the, the gospel component away that they become toxic and authoritarian manipulative devices. You know, the passage from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians this morning illustrates that those things, diversity and equity and inclusion, were deep concerns with the earliest Christian church. The church that St. Paul is addressing is the church of Corinth, and that church is riddled with division, with preferred insiders and excluded outsiders, privileged groups and powerless groups, elites and deplorables. It's so bad, and Paul is so distressed by these things that he actually begins his letter with this appeal. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So Paul sets out to show this quarrelsome and divided church who they truly already are, 
by God's own decisive, decisive sovereign act in Jesus Christ. So that being shown these things, they may conform their behavior to God's reality for his church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul shows that since God has already made them one body in Jesus Christ, because of that being one body, there is an inherent, an inherent diversity, equality, and inclusion in the church. And we see that diversity right there at the very beginning of the passage we heard this morning in verse 12, where Paul introduces the guiding metaphor, the human body. Listen again to 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So obviously the body is a single unit with a diversity of distinct members. A body, by definition, is a diversity in unity. So the church, uh, so for the church, diversity is not a bug. It's a feature, and it is not something that we have to, in the flesh, attain to, but it is something that has already been accomplished for us in Christ. All that remains for us is that we recognize, listen, all that remains for us is that we recognize and joyfully accept, and through the power of this Spirit, live into the diversity that God has already accomplished and purposed in His church. It's not something we have to carry through works righteousness. So that being the case, what unifies? What unifies the disparate members of the body? How can it be that people who are so very different can be made one? Well, Paul is very upfront with that. He says that the unity of the body comes as the action of the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me read that. It's Second Corinthians, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, if you're following along. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the Holy Spirit is, uh, creates an amazing unity between born-again believers from many different backgrounds. Now, if you've been through our Foundations course, you may have remembered me telling this story, but I'm going to tell it again years ago. Early in our marriage, Lisa and I lived in Trails End Apartments. We, all, we also oftentimes refer to it as World End Apartments because a lot of times it seemed like when people's worlds were ending, they ended up in those apartments. But Trails End Apartments in Burlington, North Carolina. And in that complex, there was an elderly Korean man who we will call Mr. Kim who frequently took walks through the neighborhood. And there were also in that, in the same country, there were abiding... Um, <laughs> a gang of mean little middle school-aged boys, and they would just torment him as he walked through the neighborhood, picked on him, and it was just really disgusting. And so uh, one day when I was uh, dispersing this gaggle of thugs in training uh, who were surrounding Mr. Kim, I took out, I had a little pocket notebook, and I took it out, and I took my pen, and I drew a little stick figure, you know, a little Pentagon picture of a church with a little cross on the top of it, and I, I showed it to Mr. Kim, and he said, oh, and he pointed to the picture, and then he pointed up like that, and then he pointed to his heart like that, <gasps> and he said, through those gestures, he was saying, Christ 
is in me. And then I, and so we were both getting pretty excited by this point. It was like the Holy Spirit handshake had just occurred. And, uh, and, and I said, do you want to go to church with me? And of course, in order, in order for Korean people to understand, you have to speak louder, right? <laughs> so, and he said, he said, oh, 감사합니다. So yes, I would love to come to church with you. Uh, is what I took that to mean, and so, uh, and so I wrote down the time because I use Arabic time just like we do, and number, numerals. And uh, he wrote down his apartment number, and so Lisa and I would go and pick him up every Sunday. I think just until the time we actually moved out of those apartments, or he moved out. But we went by and picked him up and drove to the little. It was a Methodist church, a little Methodist church right there in the neighborhood. And he would bring his Korean Bible and he would bring his Korean hymn book. And, uh, and whenever there was a tune that he was familiar with, he would just sing it lustily in Korean out of the hymn book, and everybody else is singing what we're singing. And so he didn't understand a thing that was going on, and yet he was right at home, right at home. And he felt like one of us. How does that happen? I don't know of any other situation in the world where that genuinely happens at a deep heart level, except in the church, in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source of the body's unity. We are all initiated into Jesus Christ by being baptized into his spirit, Paul says. So baptism is when you get into the water, but Paul says, he also says, we all drink of the one spirit. Baptism is when you get into the water, and drinking is when the water gets into you. We continue in unity because we are constantly made to drink of that one spirit through the means of grace, prayer, fasting, the study of scripture, Christian fellowship, and of course, uh, most supremely for us, I think would be as we gather around the Lord's table when we really do partake of the cup and drink of the Lord. The diversity of the body, though this diversity that's wrought by the spirit means this, it means that we desperately need each other. There is no such thing as church without mutual dependence. Paul writes this, For the body does not consist of one many, but of many. If the foot should say, Well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye... Yes, you should be laughing when he gives you that, eye, uh, that picture. It's meant to be humorous. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So what do we take from this? Well, first of all, listen, I think it's exactly stated this way, and kind of as I read it to you, well, because I'm not a hand, the foot says I don't belong to the body. Here's what I think we hear. Don't despise yourself. Do not despise yourself. Do not despise your person or your own unique gift. Some of us go around, I know this is true, feeling inferior. The enemy loves to make us feel inferior and isolated and alone to cut us off. Sometimes we feel like we don't belong because we do not possess the gifts and qualities that we find most admirable and desirable in others. Paul says, listen, if you are a foot tucked away in your shoe, not very dexterous, never going to play the violin, 
looking kind of funny, and you're not a fancy hand, you need to realize that you are just as vital a part of the body as the hand. Because the body won't go anywhere without you. And likewise, don't despise others because you see them and their gifts as being less significant. S significant. That seems to actually have been occurring in the Corinthian church. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, the eye cannot, the eye, you know, the eye, I'm just, the eye is so fancy, it's just fancy. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You know, those who, they're, <clears throat> I have, I have known of churches where uh, people look around and they don't see folks who kind of measure up to them in their minds. This is kind of sad, actually, as I say it. Say, so, oh, I need to find uh, the, the church that has the professional people in it, you know, because those are the people that really matter. Those are the people like me. Not realizing that by extracting yourself from the body that you find yourself in, you're diminishing the diversity of the body. Oh, I need to find the church that has the, the same level of education that I have. So I'm going to go find that church. Not realizing that you're taking out of that church a quality that is desperately needed in the body of Christ. God puts you here on purpose. Whether you meant to be here or not, <laughs> here you are. We're, we're put together in the body of Christ for one another, and we should not despise ourselves or one another. And then there's that word equity. You know, what does it mean? It's kind of a moving target sometimes. But I think, it's, I, think I could be generally correct by saying that it means that everybody wants to be treated fairly and justly. Fairly and justly. Yet how does the secular world tend to achieve or look to achieve equity. It's not universally true, but certainly true in many cases. Usually it means that we seek to achieve equity by pulling others down who have greater genuine or perceived privilege or power. Pulling those who have genuine or perceived privilege or power down. But in the body of Christ, there is another way that is infinitely better offered to us. Paul says that the body of, in the body of Christ, we don't equate equity with gouging out eyes or chopping off hands. In other words, cutting things off or whittling them down. But rather, listen, this is so important. By bestowing greater honor on those whose gifts or persons seem to be less presentable. In other words, it's not by bringing the eyes and hands, those are the fancy parts, down. It's by lifting, and, and yes, Paul does, he mentions the uh, unpresentable parts. Isn't that a wonderful euphemism? I wonder what he could mean. Yes, uh, if you read the early church fathers, they'll tell you exactly what Paul means there. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 22 and following, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The weaker are indispensable in the body. They're not a drag. They're indispensable. And on the, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts, presentable parts, do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You know, I, uh, we are a very, very blessed congregation, and I, um, uh, we have a family in our congregation that found out when the, this, this, the child is now about two, almost two years old, that, uh, that they were going to have a Down syndrome baby. And Down syndrome children are a, are a vanishing group of people, not because we've cured Down syndrome, but because they don't survive the womb uh, in many places. They're, they're excised prior to birth. But we, with family, found out that they were going to have a child and he was going to have Down syndrome. And when that baby was born, uh, there was this wonderful, there, when, when he shows up, the entire, entire church lights up. There is a special favor and blessing and joy and delight when that child is with us. And I see that happening in the body of Christ. We have other children with special needs and qualities as well. And the, and the church takes this, it's not like anywhere else. We're not embarrassed. We rejoice. You haven't brought us down. You bring us joy. God is using you among us for, the, for his glory and for the sanctification of his body. Presenting upon those who have less honor, greater honor. That's the way it works. Everybody gets lifted up. Everybody is lifted up. And that's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says this is what's going on all the time. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's God's project in the body. Not that we might be all lowered down, but we would all be lifted up. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In the body, equity occurs by lifting others up and not by tearing others down. And in the church, God also is at work to bring equity because he sovereignly, God is the one who sovereignly arranges the members of the body. So, God's, so if God is the one doing this, this infinitely loving and just God, we can rest assured that God is lovingly and justly at work in the distribution of spiritual gifts and graces. Remember last week out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, all these gifts, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. God is the one arranging the body. The Holy Spirit is the one who determines which spiritual gift you will receive. And in the same way, God has made you the member you are, and has sovereignly given you a place in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each, of, each one of them, as he chose. He is the one doing it. And we can trust his loving justice. And finally, there is inclusion. There's the, we've had diversity and equity and inclusion. Here, I think, might be the coolest thing and perhaps the thing less ex- that, we're not, that we are the least uh, likely to examine in this passage. Look back with me at 1 Corinthians 12, 12, where we started this morning, if you're following along. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though men are many, are one body, so it is with, now if we were not reading that, we would so, and so it is with the church. So it is with the church. But that is not what Paul says. He says, for just as the one for just as the body is one and has many members, and as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. With Christ. What in the world is going on here? Here is our astonishing inclusion. God says, in his, through his apostle Paul, he says, we are literally included in Christ. You can't get better than that. There's not a higher, method, there's not a higher level of inclusion and belonging. There's not a greater honor in inclusion than that. Paul says that there is a, an essential, a unity of being. We would say an ontological unity. There is an essential unity between the members, that's us, of the body and Jesus, an ontological unity, a unity in being. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I said at the beginning that the body is the guiding metaphor, but Paul erodes the metaphor. He's taking the metaphor out of this. He's saying, you're not like the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Paul is stating a mysterious reality that you and I just can't wrap our minds around. We call this biblical concept of, the, of us being literally members of Christ. We call that concept totus Christus. The church, the body of Christ, and Christ, the head of the church together, are totus Christus. We make up the whole church. Describing this doctrine, one article in a, a website devoted to the theology of St. Augustine, he writes this. I couldn't find somebody to attribute this to, and so uh, shame on them. They need to get better so that we can cite those people and give them a, an attaboy. Christ can never be separated from his people. To say the Bible is Christ-centered is to say that it is church-centered. Let me repeat that because it's true. To say that the Bible is Christ-centered is to say that it is church-centered. The idea unites Christology and ecclesiology. In other words, thinking about Christ and thinking about the church. The idea unites Christology and ecclesiology by affirming the real connection of Christ, the head, to the church, his body. On the one hand, to speak of Christ alone is to forget the whole Christ, for Christ is united to the church. On the other, to speak of the church alone is also to forget the whole Christ, for Christ is united to, for, for the church is united to Christ. And that's why, brothers and sisters, if you remember back in Acts chapter 9, when Paul is, has been given his marching orders, he's riding to Damascus on a horse, right? This is back when he's being called Saul. And he's riding to Damascus for the what purpose? To go persecute the church, to go persecute Christians, right? And so when Paul is riding along, going to do his persecuting work, he is, there is a, a bright light and a voice from heaven, and falling to the ground, he heard the voice say to him, this is Acts 9-4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? No, that's not what it says. 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? No, that's not what that voice says. This is what it says. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Totus Christus. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. When the world hates the members of the body of Christ, or when the world hates Christ, it is really because the world hates Christ. When the world hates the body of Christ, when the world hates the church, it is hating Jesus. We make a lot of mistakes. The church does a lot of bad things, no doubt about it. But the reality is that the spirit that says, I just can't, you know, I like your Jesus, but I hate the church, means you hate Jesus too. Yes, the church is full of horrible sinners. I understand that. I am chief among them. We do bad stuff. We've only been doing bad stuff since 33 AD. But you know what? I think sometimes we're getting better, and sometimes we're not. But I think God is at work sanctifying his church. We are one holy Catholic and apostolic church. But when I see the seething rage against the church, it's not so much, and then when I kind of bore down to it and find out what people are so angry about, it's really they're angry at what, that when Christians are representing what Jesus actually did, said, and taught. Many times. And that's because we are the body of Christ. We are members of Christ. St. Augustine, when he talks about this total unity we have with Christ. I love this, and this is a great place to kind of land this morning. He says, let us rejoice. Listen to what the, the, uh, the great teacher of the church, the doctor of the church, Augustine of Hippo, says. Let us rejoice then and give thanks that we have become not only Christians, not only Christians, but Christ himself. What? That's crazy talk. He goes on to write, do you understand and grasp, brethren, God's grace towards us? Marvel and rejoice, we have become Christ. For if he is the head, we are the members. He and we together are the whole man. The fullness of Christ then is the head and the members. But what does head and members mean? Christ and the church. So this morning... Christ Church, we should indeed marvel and rejoice as we come to the Lord's table that God has made us one with Christ. And that is even more true when we receive this sacrament because, as we all know, you are what you eat. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.